Now, for those of you who weren't really sure about this, um, I am actually very well. And uh, I've just brought the stick up here as a visual aid, uh, not as a prop. Although, to start with, that's what I want you to think about, because initially that stick could be just for standing firm, just maintaining your ground. This is a bit worrying for Stephen, as well as for me, but our minds and our brains have overlapped a fair chunk before we came here. I think he's probably more worried than I that that has happened, but he didn't get the stick, did he? So the stick as well um, is useful for me if I'm walking, just to give me the confidence as I'm making my, my journey, as I'm traveling. And sometimes there are things that get in the way and I can use my stick to remove the brambles, to get rid of those things that are gonna be a deterrent for me. And sometimes I'm making a journey upwards and sometimes I'm making a journey downwards. And again, the stick can be a support for me. My balance might be a little bit out. I need it at certain times. And that stick can represent for you whatever you wish. It could be something spiritual. It could be a stick. And sometimes that stick can be just what I need to keep the enemies away, to ward them off, to fight them. But I don't actually need it. I as well, um, I'm going to be doing my readings from the ESV, and we'll come to those in a minute, but I want to introduce what I'm going to share with you uh, in this way. I want you, first of all, to take yourself back 2,000 years and be at the seaside, and in front of you are the two brothers. They're in business. They're in business with their father, uh, they're in business with friends, they're fishermen. They've got a good job going here and their lives would have continued just that way until they met Jesus. And of course their lives were so different to anything that we can imagine today. Totally different. And yet of course so many elements within our own minds and hearts Whatever the surroundings are the same. Doubts and fears, joys, peace, all those things that are human to us were part of their experience as well. But one day, they met Jesus. They became converts. They looked in a different direction. They had a fresh perspective. I don't know how educated they were, but my goodness, they learned a lot in their lives. Now, not only did they give up the family business, and I'm sure it would have been handed down to them, but they left their father. They left it all behind because they met Jesus. It's been our experience, hasn't it? To meet Jesus. Each of us has a, had a unique occasion or period of time when we've met Jesus. 
I'm talking, of course, about James and John. And both of them were to become significant people for those around them and significant people for the Lord Jesus and for their God. Um, James, of course, those of us who know, was, I believe, a very significant man. And I'm sure that after his death, it was King Agrippa I who decided this might be a good thing to take a Christian and kill him. And he found that it pleased the people. So now Peter was the next target. But his brother John continued and led a long life. Dates are uncertain, um, but it's likely that the John who wrote the fourth gospel also wrote three letters, and that finally he wrote the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's probably that those things happened about 80 AD, so about 60 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And what I'm wanting to focus on with you today is John's third letter. Just 14 verses, so I will read it all. And it was a personal note to a friend, a personal note to a man called Gaius. Now, I've never been sure about um, having to grow into what your name means. I suspect Stephen's worked out, found out what his name means, but I think mine was something like beautiful. So you see, it, it fails immediately. His name, Gaius's name, was happy, full of joy. I'm glad. And I suspect some of those things, some of those qualities were what endeared him to John, but much more than that. It's recorded that John didn't write all of the things he wanted to convey. And he said, I'd much rather be with you. I want to see you face to face. I'll save those till later. We're in a world today where perhaps we meet face to face less because we can phone each other, we can send texts, we can meet on social media, whatever we want to do. Please, please, let's still enjoy meeting face to face. Let's not lose the joy, I would say the art and the challenge of speaking face to face. It's what John wanted to do with his friend Gaius. He wanted to be with him. However, we're going back to a written letter. Now, it's become my habit um, on holiday to get a few postcards to send back to the grandchildren. Different generations now, Stephen, grandchildren, okay. And um, I just love that because when you go back to their house, if you search carefully enough, you might find one of those postcards that have been received by grandpa. Um, and I love sending postcards. What about you? Do you like a letter from a friend? You know, a real letter where you have to rip it open. Do you like that still? I love that stuff. I'm not living in the past. I still can tweak a little bit here and there, but I love those letters. Now, what I'd like you to do now is to imagine that you're receiving this letter and it's coming to you personally. 
and you're hearing it for the first time. And I'm led to believe that the Greek word for brothers in verse 3 has the sense of siblings. So it's not gender specific. So it can be read as brothers and sisters. And that occurs, I hadn't realised before, on certain occasions where the word brothers is given. Now this only takes about um, two minutes to read. And I'm going to ask you to give me an indulgence, that is, if you wouldn't mind just listening. If you haven't got ESV, already Rhoda's looking a bit grieved that she can't read it at the same time, but you must do that another time. I'd like you to listen, okay? And I'd like you, as you listen, to reflect on what you're hearing. Life's so busy that sometimes we don't have time for reflection. And so what I'd like you to do as you hear me reading this to you from the, the version I have, I'd like you to pick in your mind a few words that you think capture that letter. Just a few single words. This is the third letter of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephanes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's, what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, for, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I don't know if you were good, good children and thought of a few words as you did that. I'd love to have had a chance to capture them all, but um, not really possible. As I was doing this, I wrote down these words. I wrote down personal, warm, direct, challenging, loving. 
And for me, they're, they're some of the same words I would use when I think about my father, my heavenly father. Personal, warm, direct, challenging, loving. You would uh, never run out of words, of course. Also, um, you can't miss, you didn't miss, joy and truth very much in that reading, in that letter. And it finishes with the words, peace and friends. Of course, we could go back to Solomon's Song of Songs and again, um, we could look at the expressions of shared love in that book. But let's be content just to note that the compilers of this version of the Bible provide the bride with the words beloved 24 times, as well as many other admiring expressions. There's a little hint there as to what we're going to come back to. But let's hover over John's third letter for a few minutes. We can get joy from many different things. I get joy from listening to harmony. I'd uh, asked David if it was possible that the Everly Brothers and the Kenyan Boys Choir, not could be here of course, but could um, be heard here. Uh, it wasn't possible, probably a good thing. Um, but I loved Don and Phil. Uh, some of you are old enough to know that Don and Phil were the Everly Brothers and their harmonies were fantastic. The Kenyan Boys Choir um, sang at President Obama's inauguration and um, they are fantastic as well. I love harmony. We should all love harmony in a general sense, of course, but I love it in music. And I think that God gives us uh, all of his creation, out of all of his creation, that unique ability um, to evaluate and to appreciate the human voice. Something literally resonates in us, doesn't it? What gives you great joy in this world? The world in which he gives us all things richly to enjoy. So much to enjoy. Margaret and I are very fortunate to have grandchildren and to have them living nearby. Lois and John in our church have just come back from Australia. They've just gone to see a new grandchild. So we are privileged to have ours nearby. It means it's one of our great joys. We can see them often, we can have them regularly, and we can hand them back. It's a great joy to see them regularly. Now John is pleased when he gets news of Gaius' faithfulness, of his sticking wholeheartedly to one thing and living it out. No, he's not. John rejoiced. No, he didn't. John rejoiced greatly. John rejoiced greatly. And when I looked at the intensity of that word, it was equivalent to the same sort of intensity as was attributed to the condition of those demon-possessed men. They were so ferocious that no one could pass that way. That's the, that's the intensity of the rejoicing greatly.
And what about the pleasure that Herod had when he saw Jesus? It said he had long desired to see him. We don't know entirely what those motives were, but it had been something that really had been intense in him to see and to meet and to talk with Jesus. And perhaps the one I like the best of all is the intensity of the radiance and the whiteness of Jesus' robe at his transfiguration. It was a whiteness that could not be bleached whiter. It was so intense. That's the sort of rejoicing that John had when he heard the reports of his friend Gaius. Gaius was um, holding on and he, was, and he was walking and it says, we read it, nothing pleases John more than knowing that his children, the young Christians that he knows, are stepping together and the map they're following is a truth trail. That's what they're doing. They're walking arm in arm. Much better than a stick is to have someone to hold your hand. They're walking arm in arm together, figuratively speaking, and they're on a trail of truth. Now, that isn't easy for any of us to step together and to stick to the truth. Now, we greybeards, I'm looking at Gid when I say that particularly, we greybeards um, probably recognise with some sympathy, we would say it's tougher for younger people. They're meeting crossroads all the time. They're having to make choices, many more than I would have done. They're being pulled in so many different directions. And it's true. There's no doubt that that's true. And can I ask you, all of you, to please keep holding on to your young people. Hold them so that they're close to your heart. And let them know you're doing that. Young people today need so much care and attention. Not because of who they are, because they're fantastic, but because of what's around them. Having said that, it's meant to be the case that the older you are, the wiser you get. Doesn't work that way for me, I'm afraid. We ought to be learning from our experiences. Perhaps you recognise that sometimes you don't. We still meet crossroads. And we may not even see them coming nowadays. And they may be that we're too preoccupied. It may be that we're moving too fast. For others, at some times in their lives, it may be that they're actually travelling slowly and they're lonely. And so life is never easy. Can you adjust your speed to the pace of others? Do you walk quickly past them when you could be with them? Are you living your own life? We've got so much that we can give and share with each other, young and old. I just think that each one of us needs to have a mirror in our back pocket as well as the smartphone.
because we don't do enough reflecting. That's something I've thought about, taking time to reflect. So am I continuing to step out, following the truth trail, my great age? God is too wonderful to ever think that we have sufficient information and enough wisdom. So we're still stepping out. Am I keeping an eye out for others on my journey? John ends his letter by offering peace to his friend, evoking it from God. And it's tied in with friendship. And John sends greetings from his friends to Gaius. And he says, take it and give it to your friends as well. Share the peace. We all need that. I do um, a couple of tea runs. I think I'm trying to help the patients get better at hospital, but still perfecting the cocoa. And I wouldn't touch my Ovaltine if I paid you. But when you go to the bed in the hospital, of course, behind the bed are a few words that help us. Uh, nil by mouth is quite an important one for me. Um, needs help feeding, partially sighted. And as well as that, there's the name of the nurse. But the most important two things that I notice there are the patient's name, quite important. And secondly, what they want to be called, much more important. Because you've got to engage with them, you've got to make the contact with them, whether you're a doctor or a patient or a volunteer. So the name's important. Did you notice the last sentence said, Greet the friends, each by name. There are some people, aren't there, who get into the news because they're meant to be meeting someone they know and they haven't done their homework. They haven't found out the name. Our names are important, aren't they? Your name is you. When someone comes and speaks to you, they want you to say, you want them to say, Stuart, good to see you. Steve, I'm surprised to see you. I thought you had a wedding today, but no. Anyway, um, and then there's a golden thread that runs through this personal letter, I'm having to move on, and through John's writings generally, and that thread is love. Clearly it's love. Just thinking about his first letter. Through love, we are called and we are children of God, through love. 1 John 3 verse 1. Verse 16 says, we know love. How is that? He laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. This is love, that we keep his commandments. Stick to what our Father wants. Be obedient children, even if you're 71. And we love because he first loved us. Now there is a commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, of God's son, and that we love one another. There's two aspects in one command and they're bound together. They're in 1 John chapter four, verses 20 and 21. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's two things, isn't it? It's one commandment. Two things in one commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If I say I love God and I hate you, I'm a liar. If I'm a Christian, I have to love God and love you. It's a commandment. So I've got a continual challenge. Now, I don't know whether you'd notice these things here, probably slipped your mind. Um, this, is, this is me loving God, sort of gold. This is me loving God. This is me loving you, every one of you, on a good day. This is me loving you. But at the moment, they're not attached. I can raise one of these and not worry about the other one. This is where it all goes wrong, of course, but um, I could almost do with Stephen up here. Thank you, Stephen. However you wish, I'd put little, little holes in there. If you could feed it into one and into the other. Yeah, same one, if you wouldn't mind. That'll do nicely. Thank you. Now they're joined together. And if I tie the knot, they'll always be joined together. So this is God and my love for him. It's a bit short. This is you and my love for you, about the same length. This is the Lord Jesus, and he's brought us together by his life, by his sacrifice, by his blood. And although that's not a guarantee that I will keep these together, if I focus on him, then I will love God and I will love you and I won't be a liar. That's something I've got to imprint on my heart, that I can do those two things and I have to do those two things if I'm going to love you. Now I want to come back to that word beloved. I've no idea of the time. Cunningly, there's not a clock in here, but um, somebody can give me a shout as to how much longer. I'll stop. I wanted to think together with you about one word, beloved, and it brought me to the same version as Stephen because you don't find beloved in the NIV, but you find it here. And I think it has, in my mind, a greater depth. I think it has three dimensions. Um, it means, um, amongst other things, dearly loved, darling, precious, much loved, greatly loved, dear to the heart. And John, when he speaks and writes to Gaius, 
he uses it four times. And in this version, Paul uses it of Jesus in Ephesians 1. In love, he, breast, he predestines us for adoption as sons or children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's Jesus. God uses it of Jesus, of course. This is my beloved, or my son, or my beloved son. And God, through Paul and John, uses the word beloved of us. Paul, writing to the Christians in Philippi, gives a strong encouragement to brothers and sisters at a time when things were tough. He says to them things like this. He says to them, press on, hold true, join in. And he finishes the piece at the start of chapter 4 by saying, My brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I wondered if originally that was referring to the Lord, but I believe it's referring to us, my beloved. So, Jesus is beloved of his Father and of Paul. They are both one-to-one -one relationships. And Gaius is beloved of John, another personal relationship. And Christians at Philippi are beloved of Paul, as are those related to, thank you very much, as are those related to by John in his second letter, both of those are one-to-many relationships. The groom that we didn't refer to and the bride in the Song of Songs, the groom is the bride's beloved, which suggests, does it not, that Jesus should be the beloved of all Christians. Both of those are a many-to-one relationship. But really what was on my heart and what really has brought all these things to this point is that I wanted to look with you about the many-to-many -many relationships. Why do we, why should we love each other? I know John Archibald, not to do with Wembley of course particularly, but he said, I remember a long time ago, that uh, if he had a choice to be in the church um, with other people, he wouldn't choose to be where he was. And it's amazing, isn't it, in our churches, when you think of the, di the diversity of people and the love, something we're working on, I know, but the love that we have, many to many. Why do we, why should we, love each other because he first loved us he's lavished love on us he's swamped us with love he's overwhelmed us with love and it occurred to me that even when we will be at some time in the future starved of air when our time has come we will still be overwhelmed by love 
Now I'm going to um, read now um, a few words, words in First John, and um, I won't put a compulsion on you, but if you'd like to listen, if you found it interesting first time, then please do, but if you'd like to read it yourselves, that's your choice. So this is First John chapter 4 and verses 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's very black and white, isn't it? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that's easy for me to say, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Propitiation can mean an act of appeasing. For us, it was enabling us to avoid divine retribution. That's heavy stuff, divine retribution. We've avoided that. And in the NIV, it's rendered atoning sacrifice. Can we love one another God's way? So here's the simple questions, who, why, where, etc. There's much bigger answers than I'm going to give you, but it's to stimulate your thoughts. Who does God love? Well, he loves the world. He loves everyone. Past, present, still to come. He does not discriminate in any way. He looked down and he saw people who had put him on the cross, who'd hammered the nails in, who determined he would die, and he loved them. Can you get your head round that? It's no more difficult, in fact, to think about the fact that he loved you. Why in the world would he love you and me? Just the same miracle that he should do that. Why does God love? Because he sees need. If we were perfect, would he need to love us? It's because he sees need that he loves. I think it's a bit more than that, but to start with. And I think he loves because he sees need being met. If you meet a need for someone else, I think God loves that. There's so many things God loves. But I think he loves seeing needs met. And how does God love? Completely, surprisingly, consistently, individually, collectively. 
And when does God love? Now, at this moment in time, he's loving you. At this very moment in time. And this moment. And this moment. And forever. He loves you. And from everlasting to everlasting. He loves us. And in the instant, when we have a need, and over time, when we have a continuing need, he loves us and he loves us. Our difficulty is seeing, grasping that love sometimes. That's our humanity. That may be God's timing, but he loves us. And where does God love us? Well, I think he loves us from a distance. I think he loves us close up. I think he loves us in the calm. I think he loves us in the storm. I think he loves us in the palace. And I think he loves us in the poorhouse. Wherever you are, he loves you. Now the responses to those questions give us a few pointers if we're meant to be the loving ones. Um, but they show us the enormity of the task that we have to love others. And despite that, what we're like, despite what we're like, he can't help himself. Because over all those questions where we gave facile answers, <laughs> the thing is, it's not that he loves us, it's that he is love. He is totally love. I don't know what I will see when I see him, but it'll be an overwhelming expression of love. Because that's not what he does, it's what he is. I've almost done. Now, um, I have the, the message at home. The message is um, a paraphrase of the Bible, um, and it is not a study book. And the writer of the message says, it is not a study book, um, and I believe he's a man who studies as well. His name is Eugene, Eugene Peterson. I just want to read not from the message, but what he wrote, as he writes, many people do, what he wrote at the beginning of John's Three Letters. Because I think it really captures things. It's not, it isn't, this isn't reading from the Bible. This is a man, a commentator, if you like. And this is what he said before those three letters. The two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. More often than not, the mess people make of their lives can be traced to failure or stupidity or meanness in one or both of these areas, love and God. The basic and biblical Christian conviction is that the two subjects are intrinsically related. If we want to deal with God the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. If we want to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way. God and love cannot be separated. John's three letters provide wonderfully explicit direction in how this works. Jesus the Messiah is the focus 
It's the red cord. Jesus provides the full and true understanding of God. Jesus shows us the mature working out of love. In Jesus, God and love are linked accurately, intrinsically and indissolubly. I think that's, humanly speaking, quite something. Just the last few thoughts. God is many things, but I wrote down personal, boundless, timeless, consistent, responsive, receptive, surprising, everywhere. And I think that's true of God's love. It has to be. God is love. God's love is personal, boundless, timeless, consistent, responsive, receptive, surprising, and everywhere. Now here's the challenge for me. Can we, can I, aspire to love like that? Aspire to it, Mark. Can we aspire to care like God cares? I think we're expected to. I think we have to aspire to do that. Now here's the challenge as well. Can we receive? This has got to be a two-way thing. If we're going to love someone, they've got to receive that love. Can we receive love from other people? Are you too independent? Am I too reluctant? Is it not a man thing to have someone love you? I've got to know how to receive love because if somebody wants to give it to me, I've got to receive it. I think we're expected to. I think we have to. I think our message depends on what we do with love. It depends on a lot of words as well. A lot of wonderful words that give, that give the direction, that give the picture, that give the way, the truth and the life. But I've got to show that love to someone and they've got to love the fact that I'm caring for them. Haven't you got to do that? You remember we started with the harmonies, which I couldn't... Um, I said to David, I might sing some of the Everly Brothers, but he said, no, no, don't do that. But I'm just coming back to the harmonies. Um, our, message, our message depends on it, and I think it would be good for us as well. I think there may well be harmonies that we've not heard before if we can give and receive love as God does. <laughs>